Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of of men. Our Father, we are so grateful that you are the God who rescues. And while we may suffer affliction in this life, both earned and unearned, your mercies are what deliver us. Your compassions do not fail. You are loyal to us. You are faithful to us. We are asking that today you will drive hope into our souls. Drive hope into our souls. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. We are asking that you would drive that reality deep into us such that it really affects our outlook and our expectation, which will be wholly in you. In your name, Shepherd Jesus, we ask for that outcome from our time together this morning. Amen. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, 
Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For if they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. 
as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The reality we dwell in has just been described. The reality we dwell in has just been described. There is the true and living God who is a God of who is holy. What do the seraphim, the burning angels, the angels of fire in the throne room of God in his temple in heaven, what do they say as they're flying with two, with two, one set of wings they cover their eyes, with one set of wings they cover their feet, with one set of wings they fly? This is from Isaiah chapter 6, and they go back and forth and back and forth, and they sing to one another, holy, 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 the Lord is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Back and forth and back and forth. And Isaiah, who is seeing this vision, says of himself, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. By the way, who was the original King of Israel? God. That's why it was such blasphemy when the people went to Samuel and said, we demand a human king. And Samuel in great mourning went to God and said, I have so utterly failed you. They are demanding a king. And God said to him, no, 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 no. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. But then he allowed for his own purposes, because why? Ultimately, that human king would become, would be his own son, Jesus of Nazareth, descendant of David. So God used even their wickedness to play into his ultimate plan. Who is our king? What is our ultimate destination? A couple of weeks ago, I pointed out to you that we have the statements found in Hebrews chapter 10, that we have, this is Hebrews 10, verse 20, well, excuse me, verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, 
but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day, the day of Christ, the day of the establishment of his kingdom approaching. Chapter 11 is the faith chapter. Chapter 12 is the hope chapter. Chapter 13 is the love chapter. Faith, hope, love. Last week we focused on chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, and it goes on and on and on about the faith of God's people, the faith of God's people through the ages, through the ages, through the ages. And we are to imitate their faith. We're to trust and with the same level of confidence that they did. Chapter 12, which we're focusing on today, is the hope chapter. Ladies and gentlemen, the day is coming when this will all end. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Set your reputation apart. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us, who are indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, testing, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lead us into your kingdom. Lead us into your kingdom. That is what he is doing. And the day is coming. We will be seated together in that kingdom. And we'll be saying, remember when we were together and the Holy Spirit walked us through his letter to the Hebrews and incited us to understand gave us the capacity to understand the hope, the expectation. I really don't like the English word hope. The way we use that word is so wimpy. <laughs> oh, I hope this happened. Oh, it, it, and it, the hope has such a iffiness about it, the way we use it. Not so in the New Testament. Not so in God's word. The word hope is an absolutely solid promise and expectation your kingdom come his kingdom is coming and when it comes it will have come forever forever and we will be together enjoying it and everything every part of us and everything that we are so familiar with in our environment that restricts our capacity to enjoy that glory will be removed. He will even give us incorruptible bodies. <laughs> bodies that cannot, that can walk into his presence. What did Isaiah say in Isaiah 6? I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling in the, how can I survive this? How can I survive We will be able to walk into the presence, unrestrained presence of God in all of his holiness, and it won't be a threat. Because by his mercy, by his grace, he will have cleansed us. He's already cleansed us of the guilt of our sin. He answered that 
prayer the instant we came to faith in Christ. Sin debt paid. Sin debt paid. Now he is working on other aspects of us so that we can find that unrestrained welcome in his presence. We have an expectation, we have a hope that will be fulfilled. We have a kingdom that's coming, and when it comes, it will be forever. Notice what it says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these men and women listed in chapter 11 who trusted, trusted, had faith, had faith, had faith, had faith in the face of all kinds of opposition. We are surrounded by them. They are witnesses to us. They've crossed the finish line. They've turned around and they're focused on us and they're saying, come on, come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. I did it. If I did it, you can do it. Come on, come on, come on. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And in the ancient world, and probably even today, when when people are training for running events, in the ancient world, they would actually carry, they would have weights strapped to their wrists. They would actually put weights on their ankles. They would put weights on themselves while they were in training. But when you came to the actual competition, to the actual race, you didn't, you set those weights aside. They were designed in the training to give you strength, but when it came to the actual race, they set the weights aside. And what's the author saying to us? Don't be knuckleheads. Set aside those weights. Set aside those things. Turn away from those things that slow you down, that impede your race. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, tries to grab hold of us and slow us down, and let us run with endurance. I'm sorry, folks. It isn't a sprint. <laughs> it's a marathon. It's a long race, typically. It's a long race. It's a marathon. We need endurance. We need endurance. We need endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, keeping your eyes focused on the finish line, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the par excellence example of the faith run, was Jesus. Look at what God the Son and God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person, and look at what he endured. Look at the glory he set aside. He walked in dependence on the strength provided by the Father and the Holy Spirit. He walked by faith. He had the promise that on the other side of the cross, there would be glory. He voiced that to the apostles. Matthew chapter 16, Peter had cried out, 
you are the, who, who do men say that I am? He asked the apostles. They answered that question with everything but Messiah. <laughs> who do you say that I am? And Peter answered for the apostles when he said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, good one, you got it right. You are Petras, a fist-sized stone. And on this Petra, feminine form of the same word, rock of Gibraltar-sized stone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And oh, by the way, and Matthew says, this is the first time he told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I will rise from the dead. And Peter took him aside and said, no, 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 that's not our plan. Can't be, can't be, must not be. Get behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Those were his words to Simon Peter. He told them over and over and over. The trial they went through in viewing what he went through was nothing compared to the trial he went through in the actual act. For the first time ever, I don't know if you can even use the word time for the eternal God, God the Son would be separated from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and would be in the all of the lake of fire experience due to the entire human race forever was poured out on Jesus and he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. He was the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus walked by faith. What was on the other side of that cross? He had already told them an empty tomb and he was he ascended into heaven and all authority, all power in heaven and on earth was given to him. God the Father handed off to God the Son, the only begotten Son, the full heir of all things. He handed the control of the estate off to the Son. Jesus knew what was on the other side of the cross. We have, What does Jesus say to us? And we don't like it. Take up your cross and follow me. He said those words to people who had actually witnessed crucifixions. None of us have ever witnessed a crucifixion. Crucifixion was as painful, prolonged, as painful and shameful a, an act of a penalty that the Romans could come up with. It was designed to be outrageously painful and prolonged. And Jesus said to those people who had witnessed crucifixions, take up your cross and follow me. And many of them turned around and went back. <laughs> but what's on the other side of our cross? What is on the other side of our cross is our crown. And that's the point of this chapter. Set your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the par excellence example of what faith is, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was on the other side of his cross? Joy! 
despising the shame, discounting it. Why? Because the joy that awaited him was so much greater than the the shame. And what happened? And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Take heart from him. (coughs) In the same way that he stepped into kingdom rewards, so will you. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And he goes on, as I've already read the passage, talks about our human fathers. Anybody here ever get spanking? Yeah, I got a spanking. I got more than one. Okay, did my parents spank me because they hated me? No, they didn't spank the neighbor kids. When they got out of line, (coughs) they spanked me. Why? Because they had a devoted love to me that they didn't have for the neighbors. Besides that, they would have gotten arrested. (laughs) But our parents' discipline, at least it ought to be, out of a spirit of devotion and love for us. If we accepted that from our earthly fathers, how about from our heavenly father who is absolutely righteous? And one of the things we need to be careful about understanding here, God is holy. He is righteous. It doesn't just talk, it just doesn't mean in his purpose, it means in his skill. He disciplines us. He corrects us in exactly the right way for you, for me, for the it's not always going to look the same. But he is a parent of great skill who adjusts the chastening according to the purpose to create the desired outcome. And if we submitted to our human earthly parents in that way, we ought also to submit to our God. What is the outcome? of God's disciplining of us, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Verse 11, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We actually start walking in the righteous way. Now we've got a fellow here who is a coach. You, a coach, fathers the athletes. He trains them on how to do the how to accomplish the tasks on the court or on the field in the right or on the track in the right way. What's the right way to do your job? And he trains them in that, and so does our Heavenly Father. And the difference between a good coach and a bad coach is not only understanding it, but being able to accurately communicate it and train the athletes. Well, our God is very good at his job. He's righteous at what he does. He gets it right. And it may be different from this person than it is from you, but that doesn't mean that God is giving them favor. It can mean, I mean, folks, I look at my own life experience. Has it been wonderful, wonderful ride? No, it hasn't. But let me tell you, I'm very grateful I haven't had to spend any time in a dungeon. 
There are lots of loyal, 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 loyal Christians who have or who have been beheaded or beaten to death or crucified or all kinds of things. Our God is, has skill in doing his job of parenting us. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Don't be discouraged. And what's the picture that comes to our mind of people that are discouraged? Their, their shoulders slump. They slump. They, no. Sit up. Stand up. Throw your head back. Get with the program. That's what he's saying. You have every right. Yes, is it a hard trail? Yes. God never minimizes our test and our pain. He never does that. But he says it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Today's pain will result in tomorrow's pleasure, but in an immeasurable way. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, may not even get worse, but rather be healed. And he is talking to people who have gone off the track. They have got allowed the opposition to them to discourage them and to cause them to pull away from Jesus. No, you hear his voice, you come to him. Allow him, allow your heavenly father to be your heavenly father. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. As much as is within you, be at peace with the, the brothers and sisters around you. It's not all in your hands, but whatever is in your hands, exercise to create that friendly relationship. Pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest one fall short of the grace, the provision, the gifting of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many be defiled. Be able to identify, okay, that's an issue. That person has bitterness in their heart. Let's approach them and deal with that issue. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. There have been Christians who have literally thrown away the kingdom glory that awaits them for earthly pleasure. You know that afterward he, Esau, wanted to inherit the blessing. He sold his blessing for a bowl of chili. And later, uh, well, it was venison chili. That's the best kind. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of chili, a bowl of red. <laughs> and then he mourned over that fact. Where was your head when you were offered the bowl of chili? You, th- you s- literally sold it to your brother for a bowl of chili. There are people who, when they step into the kingdom, will not step into the fullness of glory they could have 
because they sold their birthright for something that was passing away in this world. And what they sold it for is gone, and now they don't have what they could have had. The Apostle Paul in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians talks about the judgment of believers, and it is a judgment for rewards. And he even says, and there will be some who will be saved, because fire will be applied to, and if they're made of gold, silver, precious stones, they will survive the fire. If they're made of, if your works are wood, hay, straw, they won't survive the fire. And there will be many who will be saved. They will find a welcome in heaven, but but through fire. They won't have the kingdom reward they could have had had they walked consistently in obedience and trust in their Lord. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit a blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, so he sought for it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain. And he, ta- he draws a comparison here between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And you read in the book of Exodus, you read the response of the people when they're standing before Mount Sinai, God's glory is poured down. Fire comes down on the mountain. That's why they thought Moses couldn't possibly survive this. They're back, in, and if so much in the, the law, and if any, even a beast, even if cat, I don't know if they had cats and dogs, but if anything touches, is to be put to death. Sinai was as deliberately frightening a vision that God could give to the people of Israel as he could so that they would respect him, fear him. Our God is a consuming fire. Let me tell you something, folks. Fear God and give him glory. It's very interesting. In the book of Revelation, that is the formula for repentance that is stated in the book of Revelation. Fear God and give him glory. See him as he really is. Respect the reality. And part of what he really is is Redeemer. But he is the Lord of all things who also is a redeemer, walk in the, to fear God means to walk fully in the reality of who he is in all of his fullness. Fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give him glory. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, when you heard the gospel that Jesus of Nazareth had paid sin's penalty for you on the cross, and you need to abandon your trust in every other possibility of approaching to the holy God. Abandon that. Transfer all of your trust to what God says you should do. Trust my son. When you did that, you were walking in the fear of, you were believing God and altering your outlook and your choices based on what he said. When you drive down the street, do you ever look at the speed limit signs? Do you ever look at those stoplights and the stop signs at all? What's that? That's walking in fear of the police. By the way, that makes it safer for everybody else. (laughs) And probably for you. If you walk in the fear of the holy, righteous, loving God, you are walking towards, you are driving towards blessing. We haven't been invited to Mount Sinai, which causes us to draw back 
No, we've been invited to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Those who have a great inheritance. That's who the firstborn are. They're the ones that have the greatest inheritance. The firstborn son got double what the secondborn son would get in their culture. To the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Does God have a record of you? Yes. He is never takes his focus off of us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a discipline. We need to walk in the reality, my God is always present in my life experience in all of the fullness of who he is. Now, I say this almost every week for a reason. I need to hear it. I need to hear it. My God is fully present with me no matter where I am, no matter what time of day. He is fully present in all the fullness of his, the reality of who he is. Do I need to be afraid of Lucifer or any of his minions? Nah. <laughs> he who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. I'm, now, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay this out. I may be wrong. I do believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to find out there is actually a gesture class of angels that stand before the throne of God telling jokes. <laughs> and the main source of their humor is the stupidity of Lucifer and those, the third of the angels that followed him and the knucklehead humans that continue to be loyal to those knucklehead God, uh, angels demons. I may be wrong. So just he, but he who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds the, he, God holds them in derision. God mocks them. <laughs> you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who were registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all. To the spirits, of, no matter where you go in India with its 33 million gods and goddesses, the actual God there is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who created the heavens and the earth. He's the actual God. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant the one who brings what was promised in Jeremiah 31. I will make a new covenant with you, says the Lord, Jeremiah 31, 31. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers on Mount Sinai, which covenant they broke in every possible conceivable way. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I will, I will, I will your sins and iniquities remember no more. And what does Jesus say in the upper room? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What I am about to do on a cross, which is represented by this cup, by this broken bread, by this broken matzah cracker, by this cup of wine, 
what is represented here is what I'm about to accomplish, and it will set in place the new covenant. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What had Abel's blood cried out from the ground after he was murdered by his brother Cain? His, Abel's blood, blood cried out for vengeance, for justice. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. It was the merciful God that sent his son to the cross so he would have the freedom as the holy God. He would have the freedom to forgive us sinners. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, the Lord who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, meaning from Mount Sinai, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth at Mount Sinai. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. By the way, the day is coming when we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And we will be unshakable people dwelling in an unshakable kingdom. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Take advantage of the grace that he is constantly holding out to you. Let us have grace, that enabling power by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He has made every provision. Our God is a consuming fire. Everything about what we do that cannot withstand his fiery gaze will be eliminated. We want, he is enabling us by his provision, by his, the strength of his Holy Spirit, to actually say things, think things, do things that will withstand his fiery gaze and step us into kingdom glory such as we cannot even imagine we don't have a frame of reference here what we what human beings here call mansions in that kingdom will be called a shack <laughs> and that's just the material stuff we are going to be people of a very different nature that's the hope that is set before us that's at the on the other side of the finish line. And it is a promise that he, the righteous God, will keep. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are weak. You are strong. We confess our weakness, but we also confess the reality of your provision. All of the strength all of the wisdom, all of the humility that we need 
is readily available to us by your gifting, by your grace. We are asking that you not allow us to forget what the Holy Spirit has put in front of us this morning. Don't let us forget this. That we may set aside the weights that so easily slow us down, drag us down, weigh us down. And run with endurance without those weights, the race that is set before us, because you are on just on the other side of the finish line. We thank you for what you've shown us. We ask that you would enable us to keep it in our minds by the help of your Holy Spirit and do it. In your name, King Jesus, Good Shepherd, we pray. Amen.